So, waking dreams, imagination, and psychotherapy. Uh, let me begin with a bit of an overview of what to expect from the talk. Then I'll give you a little introduction to me and where I'm coming from and why you might want to listen to me, um, and then we'll get into it. So, first thing to say is that, I mean, you might be here listening to this talk because you're a psychotherapist, because images are valued in psychotherapy and imagination is valued in psychotherapy. It seems to me that images are the raw material of psychotherapeutic work. So we can think about images as memories, we can think about images as um, projections or, or the transference, how the, how the client pictures you in the consortium is an image. Also future fantasies, the concerns about next week or, 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 the, or the coming years are images. So if you like the raw datum for therapeutic work is images. As Carl Jung says, psyche is image and every psychological process is an image and imagining. When presented with a juicy dream, a significant dream, or confronted with some kind of strong transference projection, the temptation is to offer some kind of clever interpretation. The safe place to go is to explain what's happening. And yet in doing that, what we're doing is we're moving from the imagining into thinking. We're, we're turning the images into ideas. We're not working with the image as an image per se. We're treating the image as a symbolic representation of a meaning that lies elsewhere. So we're outside the process of imagining, looking back on it, trying to figure out what it means. And yet that's to miss out on the inherent meaningfulness of imaginative process, of imaginative experience. And the talk is about how and why imaginative life in and of itself, not just as a means to rational insight and understanding, but imaginative life in and of itself is healing and transformative. And also I'm going to present a, a, a method, uh, the principles and practice of a, a method, a waking dream practice that will help you work with images as images in both kind of set piece, um, eyes closed uh, techniques like active imagination, guided imagery, and also art-based uh, techniques like gestalt empty chair work or drawings or sand tray work, that kind of thing. And I'm also going to share with you uh, uh, what I call an eyes wide open waking dream method, which is a broader application of the same principles as in eyes closed work within generic psychotherapy work with memories, the transference, um, future fantasies, etc. And I'm also going to share with you a way to pattern um, the image work from the consulting room out into the client's everyday life. So how to help the client not just go on imaginative journeys in the session, but how to help the client learn to notice and engage with the activity of images in their ongoing and wider everyday life. So that's what's coming up. Who am I? Hi, I'm Alan Freiter. Um, uh, I've written a book called Waking Dreams, wh which is what I'm basing the, the talk on. The subtitle is Imagination in Psychotherapy and Everyday Life. So as you might have guessed, I am a psychotherapist. Um, and I've also been teaching psychotherapists for the last 10, 12 years, which has been my wonderful privilege, but also an opportunity to explore this terrain um, because it's long been a, a research question of mine, if you like. Um, what is imagination? How is it healing and transformative? I always had an intuition that an imaginative life was a psychologically healthy life. And yet when I went into training as a psychotherapist, I found that imagination was is kind of assumed to be a machine like a, a tool that we can use, we use images. Um, and 
the process of how we imagine, which I thought was like the main thing, is largely neglected. And the emphasis is often on getting images through this process, but then the emphasis is on reflecting on those images to gain insights, which is to say, to interpret the imagery. What I was more interested in and what I've researched and what I'm going to share with you is how contact with images, how participation in an imaginative life is meaningful in and of itself and transformative in and of itself. So that's enough about me. Let's get into it. And we're going to start with the question, what is imagination? So as you look at this painting, which after all is an image, what do you see? What is your experience? Just take in the image. And if we had time, if we were wandering around an art gallery, I'd give you time, but let's keep moving. I'd like to suggest to you that the, the image that you perceive is not actually the two-dimensional optical picture on your laptop screen or indeed hanging on an art gallery wall. I'd like to suggest to you that the image is what's created in the interaction between you and the painting. Everyone will see this painting slightly differently. Everyone will bring something personal to the image. So some people will have had a sense of a wonky room with strange dimensions, a kind of crazy vibe. Other people might have felt a kind of calm, uh, tranquil, countryside vibe, a breeze coming in through the window. Um, but basically, imagination occurs between us and the world. So we take in something of the painting, which is actually all it is, is just a bunch of pixels on a screen. But you don't see pixels on a screen. Imagination adds something to those pixels and creates a sense of place, not a two-dimensional screen. It creates a sense of movement, perhaps or a narrative, a before and after, and also perhaps a, a sense of personhood. Whose room is this? There's a story about a person. Who are these people in the painting on the wall? So we can say that imagination isn't just pictures inside the mind, um, and neither is it a, an object on a wall or a screen. Imagination is the perceptual interaction between self and world we can begin to look at some definitions. Imagination can be said to be the bridge between self and world, but we're always on this bridge. You won't understand anything about imagination until you realize that it's not about making things up, it's about perception. So what we're trying to do is get away from the idea that imagination is imaginary, some kind of uh, delusory, inner fantasy life, actually imagination broadly conceived is woven into not just how we see paintings, because I guess that doesn't particularly matter too much, um, but when we leave the art gallery, how we see each other, how we experience the world and our sense of belonging in the world, how we participate in our work, how we appreciate the arts is entirely um, woven into how we imagine all those things and therefore how we imagine and the quality of our imaginative life very much does matter. There's no getting away from imagining. Imagination is, is kind of like what filters between us and the world. It's, what, it's how we allow in the world and also what we place, or the meaning that we place out onto the world, a two-way process. And that can go wrong um, and cause suffering when we miss out on attending to sense experience. So when you're looking at the painting, you had to take in the sensory experience. That's, that's the beginning of the imaginative process. And when imagination becomes disconnected from sense experience, 
that's when suffering comes in and we can call that a fantasy life or a fantasy imagining it's not like it's black and white and there's fantasy and not fantasy it's more like a spectrum of impoverished fantasy life towards a fulsome and healthy imaginative life we fantasize because we cannot imagine through fear of rejection or abandonment we detach ourselves from our bodies from others from the world as a whole the moment you leave sensing out of imagining it is imagining that becomes an inferior function sheer fantasy mere imaginings only a dream so for example if you're working really hard as a therapist to empathize be interested in care for the client and yet they perceive you habitually based on past experience as bored as critical as judgmental um, they have a fantasy projection of you that's not so much based on who you are and how you are in the moment but based on a past and habitual story that's disconnected from who you are and how you are and um, the, the client is caught in a habitual fantasy story that repeats and repeats and repeats so now that we see the the, the source if you like of suffering within this limited fantasy story now we can move on and get into how to help the client recover their imaginative life and that's going to require that we understand the quality of imaginal perception and the name for that is a hypnagogic state so what is a hypnagogic state so a hypnagogic state is an overlap of some kind of imagined reality alongside a physical reality. So it's a participation in an imagined space or uh, landscape um, with just being in the normal everyday physical world. So it's a kind of in-between state, a liminal space. And I think the important thing about this com concept of a hypnagogic state is it really clarifies a problem which people say I'm not very imaginative or I don't get an image and usually that's because they assume that to get an image or to be imaginative is to sort of enter completely into an immersive some kind of like three-dimensional Walt Disney fantasia and lose um, awareness of the normal everyday world uh, which is and, and of course that doesn't happen and therefore people don't think they're imaginative or they can't get an image but it's because they're looking for something that's outlandish um, it's a much more subtle sense of perception than that and if we can understand that as therapists and uh, help our clients look for that um, all good and the hypnagogic state takes us into a waking dream because a waking dream is an overlap of a waking state, an everyday reality, with a dreaming state, a dreamscape, an imagined reality. That will happen spontaneously at times. I'm sure most of you will have at some point in your life had the experience of lying in bed with the simultaneous awareness of also continuing to inhabit a dreamscape. And waking dream practice essentially um, allows us to recreate the conditions for that overlap of waking and dreaming and to stretch out those sponta perhaps spontaneous moments for an extended exploration. And the advantage of a waking dream over a sleeping dream is that unlike in a sleeping dream where the sights and sounds convince you entirely and you don't know that you're dreaming, in a waking dream, consciousness continues into the dreamscape and that allows us to, to study and develop and explore the conditions and skills needed to enhance imaginative life in the moment as an experience. We can study a sleeping dream when we wake up, we can look back on it and wonder what it means, but a waking dream always happens in the moment, it's an experience. Just a quick break here to tell you about an exciting new membership we're developing, and then we'll get right back to the show. This gets you access to our mastered library of over five years of psychology conferences, 
including over 230 talks and interviews with the world's leading psychologists, professors, and authors, unlimited CPD certification, transcripts, quizzes, premium passes for our annual conference, online courses with Richard Schwartz and Deb Dana, and more. The cost is £97 for one year, which breaks down at around 27p per day. The best bit is you can try it out for 30 days completely risk-free as all orders come with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're interested, please go to twmembers.com for more information. So let's get into Awaken Dream. Let's do it together. So if we were in person, I'd probably get someone to volunteer and we could do a, a demonstration and that would be the, the real thing. Um, because a waking dream is a, an exchange between the client and the therapist, as opposed to a guided visualization where the therapist has a sort of template that they go through and the client just listens and imagines along. It's the interaction, it's the reporting back from the client to the therapist that allows for a bespoke exploration and also allows us to attend to the spontaneously arising imagery of the client. And that, that's what I emphasize in my book and on the courses that I run. So it's like, we're, we're not, I'm not so much interested in a set piece scenario, find yourself at the bottom of a mountain. Now I'd like you to walk up a mountain. That might not be what the client needs to do. I don't know what the client needs to do. What I know and what I'm sharing with you are the process conditions which allow the client to uh, inhabit and participate and unfold their imaginative journey, if you like. Um, I don't want to import like, like foreign or non-native imagery into the client's psyche. I'm interested in tuning into and exploring the spontaneously arising imagery because that will be reflective of their psychological life and also reflective of the activity of imagery in their everyday life as we will shortly see when we get to the patterning section. However, given that we can't do a live demonstration, what I'd like to do is just guide you through in a slightly speeded up version of the kind of thing I would be doing. And then I'll, so you could close your eyes if you want to and be guided through. And then I'll talk to you about uh, the, the method once you've, once you've seen me doing it. Okay, so without further ado, uh, if you're willing, make yourself comfortable and close your eyes and just gently wrap your awareness around your breath and your breathing and let your weight drop down into the chair just gently breathing and let the breath take you into a landscape of imagination let the breath take you into an imagined place. And just take your time. If you have lots of different places that you can choose from, just pick one. Focus on that place. If there's nothing particularly appearing, just be patient, just breathe. and allow the details to emerge. And first of all, I'd like you to notice particularly what you see. Look around in this place. Where are you? What's the quality of the light? What's the time of day? Are you inside, outside? How large is the space? How far away are you from the surrounding furniture or plants, objects? 
What is the floor? What is the ground like beneath your feet? And also, are there any sounds? Can you hear anything in this landscape? Any smells? And as you attend to being here, what's it like? What's the mood? What's the atmosphere? How do you feel about this place? What thoughts do you have towards it? And then I'd just like you to breathe into being here as you look around and notice the sights and sounds and smells. as you feel these feelings and thoughts. And then as you look around, what in particular stands out for you? Is there anything impinging particularly on your awareness? Focus in on this standout element in the environment. Notice the details. And again, how do you feel? What are you wondering about this standout element? And perhaps what might you like to do? What would feel like the right thing to do? What possibilities arise? And then if you'd like to, take your time and take this action. Nice and slowly, take the action. And then once that's completed, again, just attend to where you are now and what if any changes have happened in the sights and sounds. And what if any changes have happened in your feeling and thinking response. Okay, and then just take your time and when you're ready, we'll bring this little exercise to an end. So let me pull back the curtain and share with you the, the method behind that little exercise demonstration. First of all, the three entering steps and then the three exploring steps. So to begin with, we need to enter into uh, the waking dream. Um, and what that means is we need to establish the hypnagogic state. And that's what the three entering steps are all about. And this is just so important. And I think this is the basis of all image-based work. And yet it's, it's often skipped past. I've certainly been trained and, and seen people uh, just go come up with an image as if that's an easy thing. And then they get into exploring. But we need to spend some time establishing a sense of being in an imagined place and our responses to that place. So the first step is imaginal sensations. Remember from the Van Gogh painting, images are places. So we attend to the sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch even, if that's appropriate of the image scape. Initially that will be um, visual images because they tend to predominate. 
but then we build in the the other senses um so the 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 the, the principle there is that ima imagination is not just about visual images it's about all the senses having established the sensory image environment the feelings and thought responses towards that will emerge and that's the second step so uh, um, the imaginal feeling and thinking responses sometimes that happens spontaneously as a result of this sense experience but if not you can ask for it how do you feel about being here um, what are you wondering about being here and these are imaginal responses that maintain the client within the process of imagining so for example if it's a kind of Goldilocks and the three bears waking dream we'll be interested in the feeling about who's that in my bed and the thoughts about who is that in my bed um, and that maintains us within the, the waking dream and we will not be uh, interested in and we will kind of ignore basically any um, analytical feelings and responses from the client so we certainly won't be asking them why they think they've imagined something because that takes them out of the process so we won't we won't be getting into like who do you think the person in the bed represents for you like for example because that would take us out and then the third step is a synthesis of imaginal sensations with feelings and thoughts so that's not so much a question as an invitation a sort of direction to the client take your time and breathe into being here with these sights and sounds as you feel and wonder about and that, that, that third step really consolidates and brings together and establishes the client in the hypnagogic state then we move into the exploring steps the first exploring step is to uh, look out for a, what I call a novel image so usually within any uh, waking dream scenario there will be a standout or figural image that's impinging on the waking dreamer on the client so you simply ask what particularly stands out for you and this creates the dramatic tension that allows the imagery to unfold the feeling and thought responses which this so the second exploring step is possibilities so it's like within the feeling and thought responses to the novel image, possibilities emerge. You want to move closer, you want to wave, or you want to move away, whatever it is. But some kind of, um, or dialogue is another possibility that we'll get into shortly. Um, so you allow the client to wonder about how they'd like to respond, what would feel like the right thing to do, given that you feel and wonder this. And then the third step, third exploring step is action. And then we simply invite the client, okay, well, how about you take those steps, make that action. And we invite them to do that very slowly. We don't want to rush around in our waking dreams because um, then we lose the um, sensitivity to the fine-grained attention that we need to maintain the hypnagogic state. So we want to explore a few a little step at a time so we might open a door and step through the door and then once we've stepped through the door we go back to the entering steps and we invite the client to again describe what they see what they hear and how it is to be there and in this way through oscillating through the entering and exploring steps we we, we journey through the waking dream so hopefully you're beginning to see the process emphasis of waking dream practice and how we are not so much interested in the content per se we're not trying to analyze in retrospect what has been imagined from a cognitive distance rather we're creating the process conditions that allow the client to enter into an imaginative experience which is a dynamic description of the whole not a focus on a part image and combines together thinking feeling and sensations 
And what this imaginative process emphasis offers the client is an imaginal space, an imaginal space within which to begin to heal their impoverished or limited imaginative life. Healing has to be understood as the restoration of a person's imaginative capacity. This restoration takes place through the creation of an imaginal space between therapist and patient. So what is an imaginal space? Essentially, imaginal space is one that brings into consciousness the process of imagining. First of all, by making the current and limited fantasy story a conscious one, which is to say, a, which turns it into a provisional one, and then allowing possibilities to reimagine an expanded story of self and world. So the entering steps allow the current limited fantasy life to become conscious, and then by focusing in on a novel image, it's like a crack appears in the story fabric of that limited fantasy, which allows in or begins to allow in the opportunity to explore a new and expanded story of self and world. So we've come quite far and we started out with what is imagination? I've given you a broad definition of imagination as woven into perceptions and relationships and actions. We've um, conceived of psychological suffering as an impoverishment of imaginative life, a habitual fantasy story within which the client is entrapped. Healing is then how to help people recover that imaginative capacity to reimagine who they are and how they are in the world. And we've been exploring how to do that through waking dream practice how to establish the hypnagogic state, this overlap between an imagined and physical reality through the three entering steps, and then how to begin to open up an exploration of a new story through the exploring steps via a novel, a novel image, something that interrupts uh, or creates a, f a crack, if you like, in the f in the fabric of the normal fantasy story. Um, let's talk now a little bit about the difference between eyes closed waking dreams and eyes wide open waking dreams. Then I'll give you a few examples of eyes wide open practice. And then we'll finish with um, the patterning of the image work in the consulting room out into everyday life. The advantage of eyes closed practice is that it removes the distractions from the physical world. You close your eyes and you're not going to be distracted by movements, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. It allows you to sort of go inside, as it were, um, and focus perhaps more clearly on the imagined reality. However, we don't need to do that. And also there's some downsides to doing that. It can create a self-consciousness in the client if you invite them to do an eyes closed practice, depending on your relationship to the client and their experience in this kind of work. They can become sort of self-conscious and that can put pressure on them unhelpfully um, to do it right or to do it well. It's, it's basically that like you've sort of set up an experiment. Okay, let's do an experiment and it can be difficult for some people to sort of relax in, in, in that experimental laboratory condition scenario. And you end up with people either making stuff up um, or just saying they don't get an image. So in a way, the therapy gets in the way of the therapy. The other reason for not doing eyes closed practice might be for those clients who are a little bit less stable or prone to wilder, uh, ungrounded fantasy imaginings you wouldn't want to exacerbate that and that might happen if you get them to close their eyes because they lose touch with just being there in the room with you the, the physical element of the hypnagogic state um, but I don't think that means we can't work imaginatively with these 
people. I mean, I, th I think if images are the raw material of all therapy practice, it's more for me a contraindication around the application of image work via eyes closed practices or techniques that would be avoided. And definitely we can continue to work with images, um, but we do it in an eyes wide open way. So an eyes wide open waking dream, what is that? Well, it's just the same, but you keep your eyes open and you the benefit is that you don't need to then sort of segue into a set piece technique. So okay, I'd like you to close your eyes. You can just weave it into the session. And in that way, the client doesn't become sort of self-conscious because you've not interrupted the flow of the session. And also the un slightly unstable person will stay in the room with you. The key thing to do there is to move into the present tense. So remember, waking dreams always happen in the present tense. So if we're talking about a memory with the client or we're talking about a future fantasy that's coming up, we can say, well, how about we explore that? Let's get into the memory or let's get into the future fantasy as if it's happening now. So for example, if the client has a memory, my mother-in-law came to visit, that's the past tense memory, or if they're anticipating my mother-in-law is going to visit the future fantasy, we can explore that as a waking dream by turning it into the present tense, my mother-in-law is visiting. And we can do that in two ways, directly or indirectly. Directly, as I just said, how about we explore how that was or how that might be by stepping into it as if it is happening right now. Or we could just go indirectly and just switch our interventions. So instead of saying, how was or how will that be? We ask, how is it to have her visit? And in, instead of reflecting back, how was or how might it be to be embarrassed? We say, how is it being embarrassed? And then once you've made the switch into the present tense, you can just simply work through the entering and exploring steps. Tell me where you are when you meet her. How big is the room? How far are you standing from her? Etc. How do you feel as she looks at you like that? What is going through your mind? Okay, breathe into the embarrassment as you stand there beside her. So that's the three entering steps. And then we can go further. What stands out as you meet her? What do you notice most strongly? The possibility step, what would you like to do? Step three, the action step. Okay, try that now and tell me what happens. Common uh, opportunity for eyes wide open waking dreams is uh, some kind of chair work, uh, gestalt empty chair technique in which we um, invite the client to picture, imagine on an empty chair, a vacant chair, uh, a, a character from history, from a memory or a dream or whatever. Again, the three entering steps apply and this is what can get rushed past in chair work. I like to look at the chair, the empty chair, rather than at the client. And that, that, that has the effect of the client then looking at the chair. If the client continues to look at me, I'll invite them to look at the chair. They need to imagine, it's an imaginal space. They need to be looking at the chair, that's the whole point. And then we invite them to describe what they see, who they see, um, in some detail. Any movements, the, 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 where's the gaze of this person, um, their, their style of dress, their facial expression. Then the feeling and thinking responses towards the person on the chair. Weave that together in step three. What particularly stands out about this person? And then one of the um, opportunities that we can build in now is uh, imaginal dialogue, which is a subset of the exploring steps. So there's a couple of important things to mention briefly about imaginal dialogues, because often um, clients don't hear anything uh, or they just 
make it up. And all this work is really about helping people to avoid a sense that it's made up, that it's just imaginary. We're trying to create the conditions to allow what feels like an authentic imaginal experience. So with regards to imaginal dialogues, a couple of things. The first thing is we're tuning into auditory images, so it's not physical sounds. So if we're trying to hear physical sounds in an imaginal dialogue, we won't hear very much and we'll think nothing's happening. The assumption, however, is that communication is happening all the time. Um, and the person on the chair, through their facial expression, through their body language, through their presence in the room, is communicating something to the client. And it's about tuning into that level of communication, which is an auditory image. And we won't hear that with the physical ear, but we'll hear it with the ear of imagination. And we know what that's like from normal everyday life. It's kind of like the back chatter in your mind. Um, when you, 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 you hear yourself being criticized or, or perhaps you quietly placate a god or you say, oh, come on, give me a break. Or you have a thought that you don't really speak out. We're tuning into that level of auditory images. Tuning into what is being communicated is the first thing. Then we come up with the possibility what would we like to say back. And, and then we say that out loud, which helps to ground it in the hypnagogic state. The second thing about imaginal dialogues is it requires us to um, personify the person on the chair, which is to say, imagine them as a person not an object, because objects don't talk, only living subjects talk. So in a waking dream, not just people-like characters, but tables and chairs and trees and squirrels can speak and can be approached through dialogue, uh, like in a Walt Disney cartoon. But that requires that uh, the therapist and, and therefore the client addresses them or imagines them as a person, not an object. So that's imaginal dialogues. And then a third thing that we can do with our eyes wide open waking dream exploration is to uh, work with the transference, how the client pictures or imagines you as the therapist in the transference relationship. And the principle that we're working on is a slowed down experiential approach. So we're taking the perception that the client has of us as the therapist as like an entry point into the waking dream. And instead of correcting the client or interpreting the transference, we move into a description. We sort of land the transference and allow the client to tell us how they see us in the present tense from inside the process of imagining. Working through the steps. How do you see me? What is it about me that makes you say that? So the description of the sensations. And then the feelings. How does it make you feel being here with me? What thoughts go with that irritation? Okay, as you sit there looking at me, sitting back in my chair, you feel irritated and ignored. So we're just allowing it to be there, receiving the transference. And then we can go further, we can explore. And is there anything in particular that suggests my boredom? What's that like as you share it with me? And then the sharing is the action step, working with the transference. And we're coming to the end now which begs the question, what happens at the end of a waking dream, whether it's an eyes closed waking dream or an eyes wide open waking dream, what next? How do we end the session? And crucially, how do we relate that work out into the client's wider life? It seems to me there's three ways to go. The first of which is to offer an interpretation, which is to say, to explain why the clients had this imagery. Uh, which is fine and has a place. And yet, you know, you've put all this energy into helping the client 
develop their imagination and that interpretive response uh, kind of like pours water on that and, 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 and dissolves away the imagining and we move into thinking. So the second response, which is a sort of reaction to interpretation, is to say that we don't really need to do anything else because the experience, the imaginative experience, has been healing and transformative in itself. And that's true, but it misses out on the further potential that we can derive from this waking dream work. And that comes via the third um, response to the end of a waking dream, which is uh, a patterning response uh, in which we look to discern how the waking dream imagery uh, offers a template of the relational patterns and dynamics, the moods and atmospheres of the client's wider life. And we look for the activity of imagery in the waking dream to be reflected in the client's wider life. So I'm going to break that down for you in three patterning steps. So the first patterning step is to find the template, which we do by studying any waking dream scenario and look for the, the, the nexus of feelings and thoughts and uh, actions and perceptions and relationships. What I like to do is summarize the waking dream using the line, this is a story about a man or a woman who, and it takes a little bit of skill, but with some practice, you can hopefully uh, distill down the narrative essence of the waking dream. So for example, there was a waking dream where the waking dreamer is coming out of the underground station in London and it's very crowded and sees a caterpillar, caterpillar on the pavement in imminent danger of being trampled upon. So the waking dreamer rushes forwards to save the caterpillar only to realise that it's a, not a caterpillar, it's just a dried up, curled up leaf. So panic over. So the template went something like, here is a story, what I'm hearing is a story about a man who finds himself in a situation where something really bad's gonna happen, a panic situation, and feels moved to rush in to save the day, only to find out that actually there isn't a panic. That's the first step. The second step is what I call uh, jumps. So we look for that same template elsewhere in the client's life. And sometimes that will just happen spontaneously on the back of creating the template, parallel situations will come to mind. Or we can ask, where else do you find yourself on a regular basis in a high panic situation where you feel like you need to rush in and actually you find out it's not so bad. So in this case, um, the jump landed in the morning, arriving at work, downloading emails, reading the emails quickly, deciding there was all these problems that needed to be solved and then firing off lots of uh, other emails to solve these problems. And then later in the afternoon, replies start to come back saying, oh, you've read it wrong and it's not as bad as you think. So that was quite a proximate jump in this person's life where the waking dream scenario was reflective of how they were getting on in their everyday life. And this is the magic of psyche in the world because the spontaneous imagery that we uh, uncover, if you like, in waking dream work isn't just going on inside people's minds. It's kind of like a boiled down or distilled concentrated version of the activity of images that they are, are, are walking through all the time. And then the third uh, patterning step is intricacy. And this happens over a period of time whereby the waking dreamer, perhaps with help from their therapist, tracking this patterning process over the weeks and months, uh, refines the template and also comes to see it in more uh, in-the-moment situations rather than in retrospect. So with, with this example of the email um, panic, over time they 
noticed they were in that template, not when the replies came back in the afternoon, but as they were sending off the panicked response and then they didn't need to send it. And then further, as time went on, they noticed they were in the panic response as they were reading the email before they got into writing the panicked response. And then further, they noticed it as they arrived at work. And, and as you get closer and closer to living inside the template in the moment, that provides the opportunity, the perspective for choice to come in and for a new story to be created and for the client to begin to slowly, with the support from their therapist, to begin to reimagine the story of who they are and the world that they inhabit. So there we are. We've come a long way. Hopefully you've, uh, you feel like you've had a bit of an introduction to um, waking dreams and working with images as images. Before we go, I thought it would be nice just to touch on a few reading recommendations if you want to take this work further. So I'll just share with you some of the sources that I've drawn upon. Most straightforwardly, you could read my book, Waking Dreams, Imagination in Psychotherapy and Everyday Life, which will cover everything that we've explored today in the talk and a lot, lot more. I've also got a website, wildimagination.uk, where you can read the opening two sections from the book and extracts and there's videos and all sorts of things on there, wildimagination.uk, as well as an online course based on the book. Robert Bosnak, he's a Jungian dream worker. He's got lovely books, A Little Course in Dreams, Tracks in the Wilderness of Dreaming and Embodiment. Stephen K. Levine, he's, a, he's an art therapist. He's got a lovely book called Poesis, The Language of Psychology and the Speech of the Soul. James Hillman, he's a bit like Mormite, James Hillman. You either like him or loathe him. Um, but you could try Healing Fiction, and revisioning psychology and lastly but by no means least david abram has been a huge inspiration on me and my work he's got two lovely books becoming animal and also the spell of the sensuous he brings in a lovely anthropological phenomenological eco psychological perspective okay good so thank you thank you for watching to the end if you got this far i really appreciate your attention uh, i've enjoyed putting this together and um, hopefully you've enjoyed the content yeah all the best with dreaming your life onwards and helping your clients do the same and making the world a more story-filled and enchanted place one waking dream at a time so yeah good luck with it um and maybe see you around do get in touch wildimagination.uk if you want to find me Go well.